please find the book of Titus in your Bibles. You can just put your bookmark there because we'll be there for the next month, basically, next few weeks. And today we take our second stab at it. Back in 1992, a movie came out that changed my life forever. It was called A Few Good Men. Now, you might say, well, that's, I've seen that movie and I can't imagine how that changed your life. Well, here was my problem was I looked a little bit like Tom Cruise at the time. It's been decades since anybody's noticed that connection, but at the time, Tom Cruise and I looked a lot alike. And I happened to be playing some sand volleyball too, and if you know that movie, they played some sand volleyball. It was just a curse. I didn't mind it too much, but anyway, that's it's always been the case. Well, this section of Titus could be entitled A Few Good Men. It's talking about finding good men to lead the church. There's a line in that movie, um, despite everybody saying, hey, that looks like George Lakatos, besides that part of it, <laughs> where Jack Nicholson is on the, on the witness stand. I think I've probably referenced this a dozen times in our years here at Grace, but Tom says to Jack, I forget their names, and says, you know, I want the truth. And he says, you can't handle the truth. Well, if I were going to title this message along those lines, it would be a few good men who can handle the truth. That's what Paul is writing about here. He's writing about um, how to organize a church in Crete, an island that's very immoral, um, lazy liars is the way they're described. And so how do you, how do you reach a, a, a culture like that? Well, you build strong Christians, you build strong churches, and they reach the world for Christ. So we're seeing this unfold here. And it's why uh, Paul writes this letter. Um, we are here today not just um, trying to talk about our church, but our work in Tremble is taking off more and more every week. They will, in a matter of weeks, uh, be meeting at Trimble, um, not here. And so we're excited about that. And part of the reason, I, in fact, a big part of the reason I decided to go through the book of Titus was not only do we need to be reminded of these truths as a church, but on the ground floor of something in Trimble, that one of the most important things is who's in charge, who's leading that, what kind of people are they? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to tackle this. It's verses 5 through 9, and uh, let's read that together, and then we'll uh, make some sense of it. You already heard it read at the beginning of the service, but it says, The reason I left you in Crete, that's speaking to Titus, Paul speaking to Titus, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the truthful message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Let's pray. God, these are high um, characteristics and God, as I hope we'll see today, it's not just for some special elite class of leader. These are all um, what it looks like to follow Christ, that we should all aspire to have these characteristics true in our lives. 
And ultimately, God, I thank you that Christ was all of those things. And so we look to him as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this has been a a good week for me. It's been very sobering because I'm reading this thinking about myself as an elder in this church and also as our elders kind of, you know, saying, do we live up to this standard? But um, as, as I hope to really drive home, this is not just a checklist it is, it's a description of the kind of person that God can use, whether they officially have a title or not or anything like that. And so I really want you to hear this. Don't, don't be sitting there today saying, well, my elders live up to this. This is for all of us. And I hope you hear it as such. First point I have is recognizing good leaders. And when I say recognizing, it's not like any other job description where somebody fills out a resume or an online survey and check, 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 they're qualified like that. I think the idea is that people will rise to or stand out or be recognized as the kind of people that God can entrust with his church or, frankly, with a family or with any a ministry or anything else. And so Paul writes there right off the bat, the reason I left you in Crete, again, we've covered Crete, it's, it's a mess. Um, they, they, they follow Zeus, um, they follow Dionysus, so there's a lot of immorality, there's a lot of drunkenness, there's a lot of um, falseness there, and so many of these characteristics are to be a challenge to that, to be a contrast to the world around them. And a couple sub-points. First of all is there's these, this absence of leaders. If you look at verse 5, it says that you will put in order what was left unfinished. To put in order is a medical term. It means it's ortho. So you think orthodontist. So straighten out your teeth. Or an orthopedic surgeon who puts things together. Straightens them out. That's the idea. What Paul is saying is we need to straighten out the church. Not the culture. We need to straighten out the church. And that there are things left undone. Paul had been in and out of Crete rather quickly. He wasn't able to spend years there. And I, I, I shared with Neil this morning if I were talking to a bunch of pastors today. I'd ask this question, do you ever feel like there's more to be done every day? I don't care what church you're in, there's always something else that's got to be done. And so Paul has left that kind of situation there. And what he's going to do is there's certain things to put in order. He's going to talk about the organization of the church, who leads it. He's going to talk about what you believe. There were false teachers there. And he's going to talk about the character of the, t- the kind of people who will, will lead that church. For us, you've been stuck with me for 23 years, right? We, we, I, I said this this week to a bunch of pastors, uh, actually a, a younger pastor who's going through seminary, wanted to interview some old guy, you know, and I was the guy on the other end of the phone. The secret outside of the grace of God is, is godly, humble leaders. Both at our elder level, our deacon level, and ministry level, it's not just one guy up here. I get the limelight, I guess. It is, there, there's a group of people that that have a sensitive heart to God. We, as we start to move and tremble and see what's happening up there, we've, we've been fortunate enough to put a team together up there. Ken Wilson and Joel have worked together. I took the lead for a while, Ken for a while, and now Joel's going to start taking the lead up there. And um, These are the kind of characteristics that are needed. In fact, if you are still curious and, and not sure, they still need to put things in order at Tremble. Stay in this room at 10 o'clock over here, and Joel will get you up to speed on some of those things. Or if you're otherwise responsible with nursery or whatever, find Joel. I keep pointing over there. You're not Joel, but find Joel. And, and get involved up there. There's lots of ways. It's only six miles up the road, and you can do that. 
But we need to still here put in order things left undone. And for Paul, the first thing to do was to find leaders. So point B I have is the appointment of leaders. He says, I want you to find the people that you can put in place. Appointment, sometimes you, you wear the word ordain. It's to, it's to set these people apart as, as the leaders of the church. There's several words that are play here, and I won't bore you with all of them, but elder, overseer, pastor, all these things are incorporated in this. Put together some leaders for these churches. And he says in every town, there were a hundred towns. It was kind of legendary. The island of Crete had, it was known as the island of a hundred cities. And so the gospel had taken off there. There were, there were Christians in every town and they needed to be organized. They needed to be led. And so that's what was going to happen. Now I said earlier, don't just start checking off. This is a leadership message or something like that. I want to go through a little list. I'm going to go through it now. I'm going to go through it, I think, in the middle and at the end. These qualifications or these characteristics we're about to see are not just for some elite few, okay? It, it, this morning, this always happens. God tends to give me just little thoughts in the morning. And one of them was, this is not just those who rise to the top, but frankly, it's those who serve to the bottom. It's, it's, it's men that see um, the work of God and we see the work of God in our lives. And so don't just picture like the eight or nine leaders at grace or this or that. Here's, here's my little list. Every one of these things we're about to go through are a fruit of the Spirit or the work of God in, in your life. Nobody should be overbearing. Nobody should be given in drunkenness. Everybody should know the Word of God. It's, it's, it's something that everyone is supposed to aspire to be. And so don't just say, well, I'm not qualified to be an elder. Listen, you ought to want to be qualified to be. Does that make sense? That this is something that each one of us does, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's also, through this list, you're going to see a focus outwardly to other people. Over and over, you're going to see a sacrificial selflessness in these characteristics. That, too, should be, Paul would tell the Philippians, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ who didn't think much of himself but gave himself for other people. That's what this list accomplishes or, 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 or uh, encapsulates. Thirdly, and praise God for this, Jesus was all these things. And so where we fail, because there's going to be a word in here twice, blameless. Okay, I'm not perfect. You know that. None of your leaders are perfect. You're not perfect. And so we'll define that a little bit, but understand Jesus was truly blameless everything that we're called to be here was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we can leave here not with a burden of, oh, I need to live up to that. We can be challenged and convicted in those areas, but we, but we need to understand that Christ has forgiven all our shortcomings in those areas. I, I stumbled upon, I didn't know it, but Zach Williams has another new album. I like Zach Williams, and if you don't, that's fine, but I do. And what caught my attention, he's got... There's a song title that says about God, you, you've been far too good to a man like me. Like, amen to that, okay? And so that's who we're trying to recognize here. That's what Paul is telling Titus. Secondly, is the resume of a good leader. What does it look like? There's about 11 characteristics here. There's a bunch of negative ones, like don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then there's a few positive ones, like, but do this, this, and this. That's how this list is laid out. And so as we go through it, I've put it in four different categories and see if you can follow along with me. If not, it's my fault. But A, an elder must be a good leader. 
He uses the word elder. Just think of, just think, take it away from the church for a second. If you say that's an elderly person, that's a more mature person. So at the very basic level, what he's looking for is maturity. Okay? He's, and it has a technical term in the church. It's a leader of the church. But it gets the idea of just being a mature person. Not just chronologically, but spiritually. It, it, it looks to, to that kind of person. So it's an elder. And the way Paul described it here is he's faithful to his wife, a man who has children, is blameless, he's hospitable. It, it tends to be in the church. It's a, it's a male office. It's the, where men are called to lead. But look at verse 7. They lead because they are overseers who manage God's household. We're stewards. We're not, it's not my church. It's not your church. I read an article again yesterday or the day before about there's no perfect church. There is no perfect church. And many times what we, because believe me, back to Paul's statement, what's left undone, I know things are left undone. You pay me to know things are left undone. If you think you got a couple, you know, you know, I wish they'd do this up at the church. My list is longer than yours. I promise you that. But we're managing God's household. It's not ours. It's not yours. It's, it's the Lord's. It's Jesus' church that he bought with his own blood. And so we have to acknowledge that whatever this person does who leads is managing God's household. So they must be a good leader. They're, they're, they're called to be uh, make decisions and, and lead in that sense. Secondly, they have a good life. I almost put good living because it sounds more like the Ozarks, but, you know, they, they just are good people. And we've talked about goodness last week. Goodness is not just I'm, you know, a nice guy. It's good believing what's right, um, living for other people, a way that our doctrine actually spills out into the way we live. But the first word he uses here we're in verse 6 is blameless. Okay, again, I told you, I'm not perfect, none of us are, are perfect. What it means, and I, I've got in my notes all the green for me is the Greek words, and I won't even try to pronounce them, but this has the idea of there's nothing to that person that sticks. Meaning a good reputation, meaning if somebody were to tell you that um, I did something wrong, it should surprise you and you should say, that doesn't sound like George, I know, right? It, it, it's the idea of if you were taken to court, none of the charges would stick. It, it's that kind of idea. Um, um, it's, it's, I, I think of uh, weddings where, where it, I don't know if they even do this anymore, but if anybody knows of any reason why this man should not be married to this woman, speak now or forever hold their peace, right? It's that kind of idea that nobody can come up with anything that kind of sticks to you. It's also the idea that it doesn't mean that it, it, I don't want to loosen it so much to say, well, as long as I don't get caught doing anything wrong, I'm okay. These are characteristics more than like um, checkpoints on a, on a resume. They're, in my heart, I want to do what is right. And, and you shouldn't be able to say of somebody, you know, well, technically it's wrong. I know, but, you know, I didn't get caught. That's not the attitude here. I think, again, of that Zach Williams um, again, because none of us are perfect. God's been far too good to a man like me. He also has a song. You can tell what I've been doing this weekend, listening to Zach Williams. It's called, It's Jesus's Fault. And this one, the one chorus says, everything different about me, there's a new me in town. So if you miss the old me, well, that's Jesus's fault. He talks about drinking and all this other stuff. And he goes, that's Jesus. Blame Jesus for now I'm a different, different person. And so... Praise God for that. Praise God for this too. Understand this, that each and every person that's found in Jesus Christ, every believer, 
is spotless and blameless before a holy God. We're all blameless because Christ took our penalty. Christ gave us his righteousness. The Bible says we can be without blemish and free from accusation. So if you read that word blameless and say, well, that's a high standard. Yes, it is. Jesus lived it. You didn't. You should aspire to it, but you get the gift of righteousness from him. And so then it says you should be be faithful to his wife. Literally in the Greek, it means a one-woman kind of man. It means a faithfulness, um, a focus on one person. It shows that somebody, because this points us to the bride of Christ. Jesus is all in with the bride, his bride, the church. He's not going anywhere. He's faithful. In that day, there would have been many polygamous relationships in the island of Crete. And so, believe, uh, as you can imagine, a person who just had one wife would stand out in the crowd. Okay, now you might say, well, there's not a lot of polygamy today. Well, we sure in a lot of ways kind of act like it, right? Christians ought to stand apart in that sense. There were many prostitutes in that day, free prostitutes because of the worship and the idol. And Christians, again, ought to step across or step out in that. Say, so they're faithful to their wife. They, they show the commitment to the woman in their life. And, and it's, not, it's not the wandering eye. It's not the wandering heart. It's not a, what's next or anything like that. Because it reflects a faithful God. That's why this person was being there. And again, it's not, I hope it's not just the elders of Grace Community Church who you hold to this standard. This is who we all should be, right? Said so a man whose children should believe. Not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Think of the... Uh, a prodigal son at this point. He was a wild and disobedient child. That's the, the image that is pointed there. Eli had some sons that were um, out of line and it, and it spoke badly of him as a leader and, and of the God that he, uh, he, he failed. Paul would tell the, the deacons in, in um, Timothy, be, he must manage his own family well and see his children obey him and he must do so in manner worthy of full respect because he's representing the church. And so this is another one of those qualifications. And there's all kinds of caveats here. I can, listen, there's godly people who raise good, raise kids who go off the rails. There's, there's messed up families who godly kids come out of it. But by and large, he's saying, listen, your family, because the, the idea here is again, if you can't manage your own family, how can you manage the family of God? That's what he's trying to say here. There's a reflection there. Because it says in verse 7, since an overseer manages God's household, and again he says he must be blameless. So that's, that's raising the bar here. It's pretty tough stuff. And then he says not overbearing in verse 7. Uh, I don't know what version you have in front of you, but there's many definite, this word gets translated in many ways. It's because of the, the subtleties of the, of, the, of the Greek language. It has the idea of being all about self, okay? So in the NIV, it says not overbearing. It just sounds like somebody's just pushy. It's the idea that the reason they're pushy is because they want to get their way. It's all about them, okay? And so I'm just going to, I'm going to spend a little time on this word. It, it is auto, which is self, based, let me put it in hillbilly English, auto hedonist. It's always about me. It's always about me. That's the breakdown of that word. So it, it, it means to um, be arrogant. It means to be self-willed, have self-authority. To have a headstrong attitude. The Aramaic translation of the Bible, and I think this is helpful because much of the Bible is written to that language in that way, says it's somebody who is self-absorbed, and because of that, they're bossy, they're arrogant, they're proud. They're led by their own feelings, their own 
you know, ideas of what is right and wrong. It literally is, it's all about me and what I believe is true and what I think is true and basically disregarding anybody who thinks different. This is where I, I, in our setting, where I always use the word humble. We don't have it all figured out. We know what the Bible says, though. And so the point here is that this is a person who is not, and we'll get to this by the end of the passage, is not so sure of himself, but sure of what God says, that he can then speak to those issues. And again, let me apply this to the church in general. we got a great church here, so I'm not hopefully not picking any fights here or anything like this. But listen, none of us can have exactly what we want in all the settings around here. It's just not going to happen. There's a bunch of dead animals in our lobby right now. I like that, by the way. I'm not saying that's something I don't want. But that's surprising when you walk in this morning, right? Some of you might not like that. I don't know. There's Oreos out there. I like Oreos. You know, it's just, it can't be all... Now, when it comes to biblical stuff, and he'll get to that, that's one thing. But just being being so full of, that's, I guess, a good way to say it, full of yourself... That anything that comes across is different than that you uh, dismiss or demean or, or whatever. That's the idea. You can't be that kind of person and be in charge, uh, charge of God's church. Not quick to, to temper, it says in verse 7. Not quick tempered. You can probably figure that one out, can't you? You don't have a short fuse. And it, 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 there's, a, there's a subtleness to this word. I'm trying to explain the words in English. It's not just you have a short fuse, but you're constantly bitter and complaining about things and it doesn't take much to set you off because you're already there does that make sense listen if you hit my toe i'm probably going to jump but if it's something that i'm just waiting for you to offend me then i'm not going to do well and by the way again for all of us remember love is not proud love keeps no record of wrongs all these things are just found in who we're to be as believers and so you're not quick-tempered or angry you're not given to drunkenness I don't have to explain that much either. You've probably heard sermons on all this and that. But um, to be drunk is to be under the influence of something else or someone else. And the Bible is very clear. We are to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not the influence of anything else. We live in a day-to-day when marijuana is on the rise and all that kind of stuff. Listen, we're to be influenced. Anything that takes away my later on self-control, anything that is not God controlling me is, is wrong. I don't care if it's Oreos or whatever, right? We're to be controlled by the will of God. And if you think about it, this one trait alone, if you go down the list of a man who's not supposed to be violent, who has to be self, is supposed to be self-controlled, who's supposed to be faithful in his marriage, who's supposed to be welcome to other people, and you're drunk, you're probably not going to be those other four things. That one issue will take, just break you down in all those other areas. Not violent. This goes back to that. There's a difference between the two. Not given to anger, but not violent. Back in that day, sometimes if a teacher didn't like you, the rabbis, they'd slap you upside the head and say, you know, pay attention or get with it. So it does talk about uh, physical violence. We should not be physical. But it also has the idea, it's an attitude more than anything else. Jesus would say, if, if you say in your heart you hate somebody, that's, that's like murdering them. And so, for us, it, it doesn't just mean you're not going around picking on people. I'm not big enough to pick on people, right? But I can mentally and verbally in all kinds of ways pick on people. It's, it's that whole idea of we don't do that. James would say it, and this 
goes along with everything Paul's saying here. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone who should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I, I hope and I sense that, you, well, I don't think you'd be here if me or us were a bunch of angry men who were yelling at people and hitting them all the time. I, I hate to say it, but I think there's situations like that in the church sometimes, but hopefully not here. Not pursuing dishonest gain, he says in verse 7. That's what the false teachers did. They, they did everything and they viewed everyone as a way to more money, uh, to take care of themselves. Um, the Cretans, to, to where this is writing, being written to, is they were known for this. One, one historian, not a, not a Bible guy, but he said, they are so given to make and gain in disgraceful ways that among the Cretans alone, of all men, no gain is counted as disgraceful. They would do anything they could, including using people. And again, that's what false teachers do. Rather, it says, so now here's a contrast. So you shouldn't be all those things. They must be hospitable. Now, again, the Greek helps us here. It means literally they love strangers. Now, in that day, there were not hotels and that kind of stuff as much. And so among the believers, they were constantly caring for one another in that way. But it has the idea that they view people outside as an opportunity to get to know them, an opportunity to win them to the Lord, that they're not so shut down. I went and saw that movie, Jesus Revolution, yesterday. And if you don't know the storyline, it's about a bunch of hippies who fall in love with Jesus. And there's this little old church that thinks they're just the scum of the earth and they can't come in because their feet are dirty and they'll make the carpet dirty and all that kind of stuff. And that's not hospitable. It's, I'm not just, it's, this is not simply what I'm trying to get at. This is not simply you have people over to your home for dinner. Praise God if you do and that's a good part of it. It's having an openness to people who are far from God so that they can come near to God. That you love strangers different than you. Okay. We, we, we do that around here, hopefully. If you, I hope you meet new people every week, even if you've been in the same church or it's their first visit here. Try to find somebody that you've never talked to before. They may be a first-time guest. They may have been here for a month and a half or a year and a half. I don't know. But we should be open to talking to other people. Eight, one who loves what is good. This is that whole title of the sermon series. Um, this means a lover of good things. And so I don't know if I skipped the blank. You know, I haven't yet. Um, good does not just mean whatever is true, noble, and right, but also good for other people. And so the goodness we're talking about in this series is not just I believe the right things, but it's relational. I believe the right things for me and for you because it helps you, it helps me, it's, it's good stuff. My, uh, my truth-seeking should lead to godliness. My truth-seeking should lead to me being good. And so that's what it means to love what is good. We have that kind of... Goodness that's helpful to other people should be self-controlled, it says in verse 8. Um, not controlled by emotions, not controlled by circumstances. It li- literally has the word there is saved mind. It's a settled mind. That no matter what comes, you're, you're set on who you are in Christ and what the word of God says. And then these three words in verse 8 must be upright, holy, and disciplined. And if I could sum those up real quickly, upright. I should be a just person towards other people. I should treat other people fairly. 
I should be holy. I should try and live a pure life with God. And I should be disciplined the way I live with myself. So put those three together. Every believer ought to do this. Ought to be a good person to other people. Ought to be seeking after God. And ought to be self-controlled. That's what, how this all gets summed up. Now, that was a good leader and good living. Oh, I struggled with this point. See, they need to be a good lover. Okay, now I know this term is loaded and I know that. But look at verse 8. Loves what is good. They should be a, love their family. They should love their church. They should love the Lord. That's what I'm saying. This is not a checklist of care. This is characteristics of a person. Somebody who loves the Lord and loves what is good. That that's their passion. I've been, I've been praying for me and I've been praying for you and, and all of us that, that we would just be so in love with God and what He's doing and His church and other people that we can't wait to be a part of that. That it's not just something we check off on Sunday morning. We can't wait to be in other people's lives. We can't wait to do good to other people. That we're eager to do those things, not reluctant to do those things. And so a leader of a church, and again, every Christian has to love what is good. Not just be good, but just have a passion for all these things that are wrapped up in this. Indeed, they must be a good learner. It says in verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. We believe the word of God. This is what, as one person says it, we have a hold of the word of God and the word of God has a hold of us. I need to know what this Bible says and I need to submit my life to it. Again, every person needs to do that, not just a few that, that might be set apart, which is what he's talking about. In which you should Look at me and look at us and say, I hope you're living up to those things. And if not, we need to know that. But we all ought to do that. So I'm going to go back to that quick list. Every one of these things is the work of God in your life. It's a fruit of the Spirit one way or another. It's something that everybody ought to be seeking to do. And it has to do with other people more than self. Right? Serving them and loving them. Ultimately, Jesus lived them all out, right? So we are forgiven and we can be forgiven in those things, though we strive for more of them. Point three, responsibilities of a good leader. So what do we actually do? I'm married to a teacher and one thing they love to hear is, well, you get the whole summer off and you get to go home at 2.30. They love that kind of stuff. You know what pastors love? Oh, you work on Sundays. That's it, right? A couple hours on Sunday and you're out of there. Well, what do I do? What, yeah, that's right. What do I do? What should I do? Again, what every believer ought to do. It says in the last part of verse 9, so that, so here's the reason all those things must be true, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So you see both a positive and a negative here. And I want to explain these just a little bit so we have a good grasp of it. A, encourage the disciples. Verse 9b starts out by saying, encourage others. It's the Greek word parakaleo. Come alongside other people. Help them grow in their faith. Guide them, support them, protect them. Be a good shepherd. It's centered on other people encouraging them. Only saying was useful for building others up according to their needs. All the things that Paul says elsewhere and the Bible says elsewhere. The reason you want a man of such character or you want to be a person of such character is so that you can help other people. You can encourage other people in the faith. 
So that's, if you have a little checklist here, you know, of, of responsibilities, the first one is you ought to be growing other people in the, in the doctrine, in the faith. Secondly, educating through doctrine. You encourage, how do you encourage somebody else? By the Bible. And it has to be sound doctrine. And so what he's talking about here is there's lots of false teachers in Titus and other places because we read all about them. It's we understand what the Bible says. And more importantly, we know the story of the Bible, which is fallen man needs a savior. God sent Jesus to be that savior. You accept him. You're righteous before God. You don't, you're going to hell. Okay. That, that's the sound doctrine that we believe in. And, and as verse five says, knowledge that of the truth that leads to godliness that should change the way we live. And so what we do, the way we encourage, point A, is we educate through the Bible. Now, that does not mean you just come and you sit and you listen to lectures all the time. It means that my life and your life, we're trying to spend time in the Word of God. We're trying to encourage one another in the Word of God. We're trying to hold each other to the the standards of the Word of God, which, again, not just for leaders, but that means you must know the Word of God, and the Word of God must know you. And then thirdly, and this is... I don't know if it's fun or not, but expose those who dispute. Now, what's this mean where he says, and refute those who oppose it? See, some of you got real excited all of a sudden and say, yeah, that's what I'm called to do. Okay? Let me put this whole verse kind of in order. My job, a leader's job, I think a believer's job, is to encourage other people with the Word of God. Now, some people aren't going to like what the Word of God says, Right? And the way he defines it here is those who oppose it. It's not just, so my, the job is not just go out and correct every little wrong out there. It's people that contradict and, and literally it says, um, they, uh, they, they, they argue against what you're teaching. Okay. And so when that happens, we're to refute them. Now this is not a smackdown. Okay. This is not that kind of deal. It, it, it's, it's clear. But the word expose is refute, which means to bring to light, expose. That's why I use that word. And that can happen in a couple ways. One is, I know what the word of God says, or you know what the word of God says. They say A, you say the Bible says B, you've exposed that A is not what B says. Okay? So by you knowing the word of God, and this may happen in a, in a, in a conflict, it may happen just mentally when you hear something out there. No, they said this. The word of I want to bring to light that that's not what this says. And so it's exposed. It's out in the light. We now know we're talking about two different things, right? That, you, that my thing and your thing are different things. I hopefully am in the Bible and, and I show me in the Bible what your thinking comes from. And so we expose in, in that sense, but it also means we expose... Literally, sometimes it's like we point people to the word of, of God. And if we're living the kind of life that this calls us to live, I hope that people could look at me or look at you and say they seem to be living by what they say they believe. And I'm not. And that exposes me, right? We are to shine like stars in a dark and depraved world. We're to, we're to be in contrast to the people of Crete. The goal of this, refute those who oppose it, is, is the idea of church discipline, where you go and you show them their need, and they, if you win them over, they're a brother in Christ, right? That's the, the idea is to expose them not to, 
not to make fun of them, not to put them in their place, but to encourage them with sound doctrine so that the church can be, be built up. Well, how can you apply this? I've given you all this. Remember, it's not just about me and the leaders. It's about all of us, and Jesus fulfilled it. Here's three specific things I'd ask from you. Pick good leaders. Okay? Now, here we are at Grace, 23 years later. You got good leaders. I I will vouch for the leaders we have. Times will come when we're doing it now with deacons. We'll be doing it later with more elders someday. And you need to make sure that these are the the characteristics of the men you put in charge of the church. Okay? For us, into it, for Trimble, this is ground floor stuff. Okay? Secondly, pray for good leaders. Now, I mean this in two ways. I just told you, I think we have good leaders here at Grace. Pray for us. Okay? We need it. I need it. Pray. And boy, you know, it sounds like I'm patting my... It came up in the text. I got to do this. Praise God for a good church with good leaders. I get emotional when I say this. Both my boys had dad as pastor, right, their whole lives. And I've said this before, probably awkwardly every single time because I get emotional. What was such a blessing was not that they had to listen to me, but they grew up in a church that valued these things. And I would have been unemployed, and they'd have found somebody else to do that. That speaks more to this church than it does to the pastor, Right? Praise God for good leaders. And if you're in a church, you're just visiting or whatever, you're watching online, and your leaders aren't like this, pray for them. Pray that God would change their hearts if they're really out of line. And in praying, sometimes it may be revealed, you know what? I'm the one that needs to change too. I don't know, but pray for good leaders. Pray for good leaders and tremble. Continue to pray for them here. And thirdly, partner with good leaders. We've seen this at every church we looked at. We're seeing it in Crete now. This is not about the guy you put up front or the few that sit in the conference room. This is about the church being the church. Our job as leaders is to equip the saints for the works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. Get involved. Help. Just serve. If you don't have an official title or ministry or whatever, just find something and serve. I mean, it, greet people. Just be nice. and I mean, just all that kind of stuff. Be a part of this. And I'm not, I'm not you know, complaining to anybody right now. But God will do amazing things through his son, Jesus Christ, and the church that he established on the church, on, on the earth. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that these um, are here and that we can look at what you describe as somebody who leads well in the church. And I thank you, God, for our church. I thank you for our leaders. Um, I pray for Tremble, God, and pray that Joel and others up there will just fill this role. It's a high, high role, God. Um, But don't have it be lost on us that this is not about just a handful of people. This is what every believer should strive to be. And we thank you for your grace that when we fail, you fulfilled. God, thank you that Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of all these things. That he's a good leader. That we can follow him anywhere. God, that we can believe every word he says. 
that he showed us the way to love other people. All those qualifications are true in him. So God, I pray that if somebody here doesn't know you, they would seek you out this morning. They would invite you to be a part of their life. Understanding the grace that comes from that. They, none of us live up to these standards, and maybe they think that's what's keeping them from you. It's not. It's, it's the admittance that they're not good enough that is exactly what you want them to um, confess. So God, I pray for some to be saved. I pray for our leaders. pray for future leaders, God. I pray that we would all act like these kind of leaders. We love you and we thank you as we're about to sing. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.